It's a little different this morning than we normally have. Normally our screen would come down and we'd be getting our sermon from Lexington, but this morning we had an opportunity to have a little bit of family time here in in Watertown. We're glad that you can join us and be here for it. The Google search bar, an image, an idea, a portal to an entire universe of people and information. I'd guess that in 100 years, maybe even 1,000 years, they'll be talking about the similarities between the information age and the Industrial Revolution as two of the greatest culture-shifting eras in history. We're the first generation to be connected within moments face-to-face with anyone in the world, literally anywhere. We're the first to put all that information in the world into a 1.5-pound object that fits in our pants pocket or even in our, on our faces as a part of our, of our eyeglasses. Think about it. I, I wonder if, if history will tell us that the shift of the information age was greater than every other shift in the history of the world. And of course, this is a, a narrative, a story that's been a part of every age since the Renaissance. We are changing faster than ever. We have new ways of being that have never existed before, new ways of creating things, new tools for manipulating our world, new ways of transmitting information through space and time. And this narrative always includes words of caution to these changes that might take away part of our humanity, how each technological development could ruin families and relationships, how listening to radio or watching TV will make us stupid. In a journal of communication studies, I, I read an article that traced that the history of, of this narrative, how every generation there are those who see some of the drawbacks and they have their reasons. And the article chronicled how pockets of every generation has always hesitated embracing some new set of ideas or tools. Some of this hand-wringing over changes to our tools and getting information is valid. It's been nearly 40 years since Marshall McLuhan made the iconic statement that the medium is the message. We think about things differently based on the ways that our information comes to us. There's new research showing that the the ways that we read and power skim through articles and blog posts and social media newsfeed, it's changing our ability to dive deep into concentration or even our ability to exert concerted mental effort in a singular project. It's showing how some are processing information differently through different mediums. Now, this sermon is not about the drawbacks and the potential problems of the digital lives that we lead. If you're interested in those issues and what they mean and how to deal with them, I've written a blog post that touches on some of these issues, and uh, you can find it on our Everyday Matters page at grace.org. Instead, this sermon is is about how each of us in our digital communication follows Jesus and lives on mission in our everyday lives, how our everyday digital lives matter. Now, the average American adult, I don't know if you realize this, we spend eight hours per day looking at a screen. And and why wouldn't we? In past generations, we would have gone to different sources for our newspaper, books, phone calls, writing and receiving letters, looking up directions, our Rolodex, taking notes, watching TV, listening to the radio, going to the movies, playing games, reading our Bibles or devotionals, listening to sermons, taking pictures, sharing pictures, going to the bank, paying our bills, managing our investments, and paying taxes. We would have gone to a different place for each of those things, but now it's all in one place. 
in our phones, on our tablets, or on our laptops. We can do all of these things from anywhere with minimal effort. You and I spend a lot of time in front of these glowing LED screens. This spring, we're spending some time asking, how do we live on mission in our everyday lives? How do we walk with God, love mercy, and do justice in these ordinary times? And, and what's more ordinary than our digital lives? All those hours and days we spend in front of screens, consuming, creating, and connecting. Many people that this, think that this, this time that we spend in our digital lives is a fake world, that it's not our real lives. Some have argued that what we type and say and do online should be anonymous and that we shouldn't be held responsible for it. Many even slander others and impeach their reputations online, thinking that it's just ones and zeros. They say it doesn't mean anything. But the reality is that the things that we do online, they do matter. There is no digital world that's detached from the everyday real life that we live. You are the person that does those things. You are the person that goes to those websites and types those words. You may be anonymous to others online, but not to those companies that run the websites, to the NSA, to God, or to yourself. Nothing you do is unseen. All of the things that we've learned about loving others like ourselves, about treating our neighbors how we want to be treated, not lying or cheating or stealing, not committing adultery or misleading others, being authentic and real in our relationships with others and with God, none of these stop applying to you when they're mediated by a digital environment. Every new technology is a new tool. And the same way that a hammer can be used to build a house, to break a window, or to murder someone, the internet and social media in particular are powerful tools for transforming culture in some good ways and some really bad ways. I, I doubt that I need to rehearse to you all of the, the bevy of ways that the internet and digital media and social networks can be bad for us. This is a constant narrative of investigative journalists that make a living through, on some level, fear-mongering. We all know about cyberbullying, stolen identities, addiction to pornography, addiction to the internet itself, the time-wasting, the grotesque advertisements, and the illegal activities that have been given opportunities through the likes of Tor and Silk Road and the underbelly of the World Wide Web. So why a sermon about this thing that seems to have so many downsides? Why not just try to avoid all of this internet culture altogether? Why not join the Luddites in their cause to keep us from being a part of this modern technological revolution? Well, I want to tell you that it's not enough just to push it away because it's bad. There's something better that God has planned for us in our digital lives than just running away from the problems of the world. Our passage today in John 1 is the starting place for understanding as humans what we ought to do and how we ought to behave. If we want to understand what God wants and how to value the things that God values, we start by watching what God does, how he works. And John 1 is one of the best places at getting at that big picture that God is up to in the world. This is how Eugene Peterson translates John 1.14 in the message. I love this passage. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. 
We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. God, the Word, became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. God, the Father, sends the Son, the Word of God, into the world to reveal God to the world. God did not just make the world to watch it fall under the curse of sin and leave it to be destroyed by its own undoing. God came down. He moved into our neighborhood. He took on flesh and blood. He even became flesh and blood. God didn't sit on high and wait for us to come to our senses. He moved towards us. He made a way for us. We read in, Revelations, in Romans 5 that even when we were enemies with God, he sent his son to die in our place. This is the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God that we want to know and follow, the kind of God, the one true God that loves us so much that he sent his one and only son who came himself to make everything right through his own suffering. And he came to show us the way. He suffered alongside us and for us. We read again in verse 9 through 12, the life light was the real thing. If we want to know the real thing, we look to the word, the life light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. So the Father sent the Son on mission to make the world right. The Father and Son sent the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to empower us to good works, to guide us into all truth, to be our counselor and helper in times of need. And then we get to the heart of what it means to live on mission. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit send us, the body of Christ, the church, to live on mission in the world. God goes God sends, God sends us to be on mission. Like our God who doesn't stay at home and wish from afar that we would find a way to him, he goes to his creation and makes a way for us to experience the abundant life that Christ offers. We are sent on mission into the world with this job. Show the world Jesus. Tell them what he's done and invite them to follow him and experience the life that God offers in Jesus, this overwhelming, abundant life. So, Pastor, what the heck does this have to do with my digital life? The answer is everything. This world is a messy, broken, cursed place full of sin and destruction, societal and environmental decay, yet Jesus came and gave himself up for it. He moved into the neighborhood. He didn't wait for a clean version of the world to come along, for the world to clean up its act before he made his move. God moved into the neighborhood even when we were his enemies, bent on our own destruction. We shouldn't wait for the internet to clean itself up before God's people shows up there. And this is our call, to follow Jesus by moving into the neighborhood, by going where people are, no matter how far away from God. And this has a lot to do with our digital lives. Now, some of you may be sitting there wondering, what does this sermon have to do with me? Maybe you don't have a Facebook profile or a Twitter account, but you do have a digital life. 
What comes up when you Google yourself? Now admit it, you've done it. We've, we've all Googled ourselves. Are you concerned with identity theft? Do you have an email account and get email from listservs? What about the way that you digitally protect, project yourself through your emails and workplace and internal networks? What I mean is how do you look to those who are reading your emails who don't know you? All of us on some level have some part of our lives that's mediated by digital networks. All of us have a digital life. When I was 24 years old, I had the privilege of working with a group of adult volunteers to uh, start an outreach to high school and middle school students in Boise, Idaho. Uh, we worked at a school where I had a job coaching soccer, and we gathered some students that we knew, and every week we had a party. We hung out, we ate food, did some crazy games, and we just told stories about who this Jesus guy was. It was an awesome time, and uh, I really enjoyed that part of my life. And uh, the first year I was there, there was this young guy who was a junior named Jared, and he seemed like a great kid. I wanted to get to know him, so I asked him if I could buy him a taco after lunch at the Taco Bell across the street. And uh, when we got together, I, I asked him to tell me his story, what God was doing in his life. And he went on to tell me that he grew up in a nominally Catholic family. He didn't attend church until confirmation came around in his early teens. And uh, while he was attending confirmation courses, he was pretty bored. And so he picked up a Bible, because that's what they had around in his confirmation courses, and he thumbed through to the book of Romans. And he saw the word saved while he was trying to read it and understand it. And he wondered what that word saved meant. Instead of asking a question in confirmation class, he got up, went home, and later that week got on Google. And he put in the term saved Christian and looked to understand what it meant. He stumbled onto a website that walked through the Romans Road. It's an old evangelistic tool that walks through key verses in the book of Romans to explain how to start a relationship with Jesus. And that day, having understood what this website said and feeling that he wanted what it was offering, that God was tugging at his heart, he started a relationship with Jesus because of this website. Today, Jared works with Crew as a graduate student, leading a movement of college students to reach out to, this, to their university. Jared's life was transformed by visiting a website. And he's not the only one. One of the jobs I had during seminary was as, was as a writing uh, consultant with a foundation that worked with a group called Global Media Outreach. GMO's mission was to share the love of God through digital media with as many people as they could. And, and they were doing a great job. You see, GMO, every year, some 195 million people, I'm going to say that again so that you really get the weight of that number, 195 million people go to GMO websites in over two dozen languages, and they get there by searching for God or for hope on Google. And of those 195 million people that visit their websites every day, every year, some 27 million last year indicated that they had prayed a prayer to start a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to pause for effect. 27 million people. 27 million people in this world were impacted by websites just run by one organization. Where do you go to find information about town services? Well, you go to the internet. Where do you go to find out about the latest movies that are playing? Go to the internet. 
Where do we go to research the car that we want to buy, to see pictures of our grandkids, to find new music or a myriad of other things? We go online. Where are people going to find God? Where are people going when they're searching spiritually? Increasingly, they're going to Google and social media and message boards and blogs and even YouTube. God is working in people's lives. He's drawing them to himself. They're looking for ways of understanding who they are and what their lives are about. There are over 1.2 billion people on this planet that have a Facebook page. 1.2 billion. There are 6 billion Google searches done every day. And that half the world, about 3 billion people, are online and have access to the internet. If you're going to live on mission, that means going where people are. Out of the 300 million Americans, 270 million of them are online. There are 170 million Americans that regularly spend time on Facebook. 170 million. People spend as many hours a day online than any other thing that they do. It's the thing that they spend their most time on, is online. Okay, so we've established why we live on mission and where the people are that we should go to. So what does that mean for you and me in our digital lives? The author Meredith Gould gives us a take on Teresa of Avila's classic poem about how God is flesh and blood through us. This is what she says. Christ has no online presence but yours. No blog, no Facebook page but yours. Yours are the tweets through which love touches this world. Yours are the posts through which the gospel is shared. Yours are the updates through which hope is revealed. Christ has no online presence but yours. No blog, no Facebook page but yours. Everything that you and I know about following Jesus, it translates in some ways to our digital lives. Our digital life is our real life. To live on mission in our digital life, it starts by applying God's two great commandments in Deuteronomy and in the, in the Gospels. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Facebook profile. <laughs> and love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing we do in our quest to live on mission in our everyday digital lives is to be aware to be aware of God's presence, to remember that God is with us everywhere that we go, to remember that there are people on the other end of every online interaction, and that God cares for those people, and that we can be God's loving presence in those online interactions. We need to remember that the internet is written in ink, not in pencil, and that Paul's command to be quick to listen and slow to speak is often more important in our digital lives. And that we can pause and wait sometimes before we post a hasty reply to that Facebook post or a Twitter conversation. Many of us desire to be faithful and to share the hope that we have in Christ online. I know that many of us say, how could I share my faith online? But then we see the clumsy attempts of our Aunt Ida who email blasts about martyrs around the world and that one guy from high school who posts trite sayings that are vaguely Christian, in between political posts that are actually quite offensive. We know that we don't want to be like those guys. So we decided that it's better to say nothing than to hurt the cause of Christ with some seemingly offensive barrage of unwanted messages in our friends' news feeds. The problem is that not saying anything about Jesus 
is not an option if you want to follow Jesus. His explicit commands to his followers is to go and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that Jesus taught, including those really important sayings like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, how do we share our faith online in a way that sounds like good news rather than a bad rash to be avoided? I spent some time two years ago working with a software company that developed uh, some web marketing tools that engage customers through social media. Working with them, I learned some key things about how people behave and interact with content on social media. And I, I want to share a couple of those things with you as you're thinking about what does it look like to be faithful following Jesus in our digital lives. The people who are the best at engaging their communities in social media, they serve their networks by giving them what they need and what they want. Those who are best, they, they curate and find content that they think their network will enjoy and learn from. What we do selfishly is we find things that we enjoy and we post them thinking other people will like what we like. But if we want to serve others, we'll think about them. We'll post things that are interesting, intriguing, and maybe less posts that are about proving a point to that one friend that believes that one thing. People who are the best at engaging their online communities, they do not self-promote or promote their products and brands exclusively. Now, I'm betting in, in your everyday life you have some people that you know, and when you talk with them, they only talk at you. Raise your hand if you've got a person like that in your life. Yeah, we all have that guy, that person. They just talk at you. We all have those people in our digital lives, too. All they do is just post and post and post and post. They tell people what they think. They are just kind of hard to be around. We can't be that person. And we have to think about what we're doing in light of who our audience is and how we're posting to them. Those who are best at engaging their online communities, they start conversations that ask questions. They start conversations that ask questions rather than just telling people what they think in a de definitive way. They ask questions that engage people in conversation rather than stop people with their strongly worded opinions. They post an article and ask a question and then engage in moderated conversation that is thoughtful, friendly, winsome. Those are the people that have the best online communities because they're loving and caring for the people that they're posting to. Those who do the best and engage in their online communities, they create their own content and share something about themselves and bring up topics and questions that other people are interested in. Uh, rather than just stealing from uh, whatever website you steal from, BuzzFeed or uh, Reddit or whatever it is, instead of just stealing those things, create something, make something, say something, write a couple of paragraphs on a blog or a Facebook post and invite people to respond. Create something interesting and new. Use all those creative and artistic gifts that you have to make something interesting, fun, entertaining, that serve and care for others like you do in your personal life. This means that you have to post more than a couple times a year when you find that video that proves someone wrong about their view on climate change. It means that you don't post snarky, mean-spirited, or argumentative posts to prove a point. It means that you don't just post things that interest you and that one other nerd on your, on your newsfeed. It means that you think about others and lift them up and encourage them in public. 
It means that you hit like on Facebook, that you favorite a tweet, or you press the heart on an Instagram photo for your friend's posts, and even spend time maybe writing a comment telling them how much you appreciate them and what they post, maybe thanking them for sharing their lives and interesting articles that come along, maybe engaging with the questions that they share. The best way that you can follow Jesus online, now this is, this is the one thing I want you to walk away from, the best way you can follow Jesus online is by not spamming your list of email contacts with anything, okay? Do not send anything out to your entire email list. And if I could get you to stop hitting reply all on emails, I, my job will be done here today. The most compelling ways that friends engage with spiritual content online is by hearing stories, especially stories of their friends. Maybe consider taking some time to write down your testimony, your story of why you started following Jesus. Write it in a blog post. Maybe even make a YouTube video of you sharing your story of coming to faith. And then in that religion box on your social media profiles, maybe put a link to your story. And instead of people thinking of you as affiliated with some religious organization, they see that your religious identity is built on a relationship with Jesus. This tells people that you value story and relationship more than religious affiliation. And it's intriguing to those who don't come from a spiritual religious background. Many times online people will post something like an event or um, hoping an event or something that's happening, hoping that everyone will see it and like it and enjoy it. But just like an invite in the real world to everyone is an invite to no one, giving specific asks with individual uh, notes to your friends is much more compelling. So when you have something coming up that you'd like your friend to go to, maybe it's a barbecue or uh, maybe it's Easter Sunday or Christmas Eve at church, maybe it's a concert that you're going to go to, think of writing a personal note including the link and telling them how much you'd enjoy them coming with you to that event. It's a much more powerful way to engage that says, I care about you, rather than just, I put things out there for you to see. Get connected to a group like Global Media Outreach. They have online missionaries that help those 27 million people each year start a relationship with Christ and connect with a faith community, whether it's online or in the town that they live in. GMOs is especially in need of Spanish, Portuguese, and Russian speakers. And maybe, maybe most importantly, use your digital life to enhance your everyday, real-life relationships. The research shows that in many ways, having contact through social media can enhance your everyday in-person relationships, and that those are the people that you engage with the most online, those you already know through some other means. Maybe create a group or a hashtag conversation with people that you see regularly and use it to plan events and cookouts, invite people to a life community event, ask them to serve in your community with your church or your life community. Maybe you can share some pictures of your kids with their grandparents that live across the country, reconnect with friends from high school and college, see where they've been. God has called us to live on mission, to love him and to love others with the everyday matters, the ordinary times that include our digital lives where many of us spend a whole lot of time. Just like God moved into our neighborhood, we need to see our online and in-person neighborhoods as a place God has called us to, to live on mission. Now, uh, this is an area of my own life that's a work in progress. Uh, The things I've shared today are, to me, areas where God's asking me to grow in my awareness and my love of others. 
My wife complains that I spend too much time reading online articles. Um, I can be snarky and rude in my comments at times, and often I'm more concerned about what I can get from my online interactions than what I can give. I want to I love and care for others more when I'm online. I, I want to love and care for them more than I care about them liking the content that I put out there. I want to count my friends in our care for one another rather than the number of followers that I have. May God give you and I the grace to love our friends by asking questions, sharing thoughtful responses, and inviting them to move towards faith in God. For those of you who are saying, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Uh, maybe because you've avoided this great societal shift. You, maybe you brag to your friends that you don't have a Facebook account, the, the few of you that there are. Or maybe you brag that you don't have a Twitter handle. My challenge to you is, Maybe God wants you to go where your neighbors are. Maybe God wants to draw you closer to your family that lives across the country or on the other side of the city by sharing albums and photos on Facebook. Maybe there are relationships in this room that God wants to kindle online when we don't have time for it with the hour or two that we spend on Sunday mornings. Maybe there are people in our congregation that are shy, that won't engage in person, but online feel free to really create deep and meaningful friendships. We even have a Grace Chapel Watertown message board on Facebook that people use to share what's going on in their lives, to sell things like Craigslist, and to, to talk and meet each other. Maybe that's a place where you can start by living on mission and getting to know your community. This is a journey. And as a society and as the body of Christ, we're figuring out what it looks like to live online, to live with these new tools and this new way of being. So let's, let's continue this conversation. Let's continue it online after today. I'm going to post my sermon at my blog. There, there you have it, at bobbycfraser.com, um, along with some other articles and online etiquette and dealing with the pitfalls of online culture. Please come, leave a comment, share the blog post, share your story, and let's learn together what it looks like to follow Jesus online because God's called us to live on mission in the everyday things, in the ordinary times, even in our digital lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the ways that you're working in us and among us here. Thank you that you're drawing us to yourself and that you've done this great work of sending Christ and having him die in our place for our sins. Lord God, we pray that in each of our online interactions, in our texts and tweets and posts, and the pictures that we put online, Lord, we pray that we'll honor you, that we'll love and care for others, and we'll see it as an opportunity to use tools to engage the world in a conversation about what it means to follow you. God, use this as a starting point for our conversation, and um, refine us as we go. We entrust these things to you. In your name we pray. Amen.